Please pray with me. Father, we have a difficult text before us. We pray that you would send your spirit to illuminate our minds, to help us concentrate, and to give us understanding into this text so that we can know what it means and what it means for our lives. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel like God is not at work in your life? Do you ever feel like the world has no interest whatsoever in Jesus? Do you ever feel like the world has no interest whatsoever in your faith as a Christian? If you ever feel that way, Jesus has very good news for you this morning. It turns out that right in front of our eyes, God is working in our lives. And it turns out that right in front of our eyes, the world is literally crying out for what we have. Jesus has good news for us this morning. But we won't be able to see that good news until we look closely at verse 5 from Philippians 2. So we're going to think carefully about what verse 5 means, and then as we do so, this good news will explode before us. Today we're continuing in our sermon series on Philippians, and we enter chapter 2. And at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul pleads with us and basically says, If you have ever loved Jesus, if you have ever had any care for me, then do this. Make my joy complete by doing this in verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That's not a rhetorical question. Don't answer out loud, but I want you to think about it. What does that mean? Is that a metaphorical image? Does it mean that we're supposed to have the same thoughts that Jesus did, to have the same attitudes he did? Is it a literal image? Does God want us to physiologically have the same brain that Jesus did? Does he want to do a brain transplant? Or maybe God wants to place Jesus' brain inside our brain, a brain within a brain. What does this verse mean? And then after we figure that out, how is it going to take place? How are we going to get from where we are to where God wants us to be? Do we do something? Does God do something? Do both of us do things? These are all crucial questions. We'll come back to them later. For now, let's marvel at the thought that Jesus wants us to think like him. He wants us to think like him to the degree that our brains become fundamentally like his. To the degree that they begin to look the same. Can you think of anything more audacious? Can you think of any more daunting task? To have the same mind that Jesus did would be to make all my decisions the way Jesus did. We'll probably have one of two reactions to this thought. 
will either think that God isn't really serious about this, or we may underestimate how great a thing this is. When I hear God say to me that he wants me to have the mind of Christ, I think, Lord, with all due respect, do you see what I'm starting with? Do you know how selfish I am? Do you know how egotistical I am? It is an amazing and mind-boggling thing that God would call us to this. I see the ingredients. I see you. I see me. And I see the final result God desires. And I do not see how we get from here to there. It reminds me of going into the chemistry lab. When I was in school, I loved chemistry, one of my favorite subjects. And I think it was the wonder of it all. You'd go into a lab, and you start out with completely separate ingredients. And you mix them together, and those ingredients would disappear and form something new. It was almost magical. It was fascinating. And sometimes these, if you started with two ingredients, sometimes the, the new created thing would have properties of the the old stuff and sometimes it wouldn't it was amazing how that could happen if you make a metal alloy there's hundreds of different kinds of aluminum alloys and titanium alloys if you make those alloys the new created alloy is distinct it has its own unique properties but it also has very distinct characteristics of titanium and aluminum I think that's a helpful way to think about what God wants to do with our brains. He's not doing a brain transplant. He's not taking out our brains and inserting Jesus' brain. He doesn't want to take away our individuality. But I think he is making an alloy with our brain and Jesus' brain. So that the properties of Jesus' brain are very much in the center driving us forward. But our personality, our individuality is preserved. Now what makes me say that? Out of all the ways we could interpret verse 5, why this imagery of an alloy? I think that interpretation makes the most sense out of everything we know. Out of everything we know from this passage out of everything we know from Scripture as a whole, and from everything that science currently knows about the human brain. First, it makes the most sense with what we know from this passage. In verse 13, we read, It is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He doesn't leave the results up to us. Thank goodness. He wants our cooperation, but he is working inside us in two specific ways. One of those ways is that he is willing us to work for his good pleasure. Our will. That place where we make decisions and contemplate our emotions and what drives us is in our brain. This verse is saying that God is at work In our brain. Second, 
this interpretation makes the most sense from what we know of Scripture as a whole. It would not make sense for God to expect us to take the brains we have and all of a sudden start making decisions like Jesus and to transform our brain into his without his help. We know that we're, we're too fallen for that. It wouldn't work. We wouldn't need a savior. And we read this in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says there, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? When we talk with children about having faith in Jesus, we often encourage them to invite Jesus into their heart. If we want to be more biologically correct, we would encourage them to invite Jesus into their brain. But that might scare them. Hopefully, none of the kids were scared today. Parents, if that was the case, I'm sorry. Hopefully that's not the case. But we as adults need to come to grips with the fact that Jesus does not just want to be in our hearts. He wants to be in our brains. And he doesn't just want us to store thoughts about him in our brain. He wants his Holy Spirit to take up residence there. He wants the Holy Spirit to actually be there. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about the Holy Spirit being inside you. I often think of God's presence being with me wherever I go. I think of him giving me guidance. But as I studied this passage, I realized I need to take more seriously the fact that the Holy Spirit is actively rewiring my brain. That may not be the right word. I don't know enough about neurology to say for certain. But it seems that God is somehow physically changing our brains. I think this also makes the most sense with what science currently knows about the brain. It used to be thought that when you were an adult, that your brain was a static organ. It didn't change. But in the past few years, researchers have started to realize that when you use your brain in certain ways, that area of the brain grows. It changes. It changes physiologically. I don't want to overstep my bounds here. I'm not an expert. But there is evidence that our brain physically changes. So for those three reasons, in ways we cannot understand, it seems that God is actively at work in our brains, transforming it, rewiring it, not replacing our identity, but somehow making an alloy with Jesus' brain. That is one piece of good news today. So let's turn to the questions we asked at the beginning. Do you ever feel like God is not at work in your life? If you ever do, you're not alone. There may be times when it's easy to look around and see how God is working in this person's life or that person's, but you look at your own and, and think, What's going on? I don't see God's fingerprints anywhere. In this passage, Paul gives us some very specific ways 
we can see God at work in our lives. Here's how it happens. Look at the characteristics of Jesus' mind in verses 3 through 4. People who have the mind of Christ do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility they regard others as better than themselves. They look not to their own interests, but to the interests of others. Those things do not come naturally to us. And when those thoughts do arise, they're often fleeting. But when you do have thoughts of putting others ahead of yourself, of placing others' interests before your own, verse 13 is happening in real time. God is at work in you, enabling you to will for his good pleasure. Those thoughts do not come naturally to us. And when they do, they are a sign that God is actively at work in your life. When you get those thoughts, the Holy Spirit is molding your brain regardless of whether or not you act on them. You can act on that thought and help the Holy Spirit transform your brain to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as verse 12 says. But the very fact that you are having those thoughts is a sign that God is at work in your life. The other question I asked at the beginning was, do you ever feel like the world, neighbors, coworkers, friends, are not interested in Jesus, in what you have to offer as a Christian? It turns out that the world is begging for people who have the mind of Christ. They are begging for it, even if they don't realize it. That's what the Occupy Wall Street protests are about, aren't they? Regardless of what you may think about that movement, I think there are some things that we can agree on. From Pittsburgh to New York to Greece to Brussels, people know the Western world is messed up. Things are awful, and there's no sign of things turning around. There isn't even a plan on the table that enough people can agree on. There isn't even a plan on the table that most people will think has any chance of working. It reminds me a lot of the movie The Network, a movie from the 70s that some of you may have seen. It's set in the 70s in a, in a time of American history that was a lot of things are going haywire to. The, the economy was a mess. All kinds of bad things were happening. And it's in that setting that the main character, Howard Beale, is a newscaster. He's been on the network news for, for decades. But his ratings start plummeting, so he's fired. But before he goes off the air, he has a couple more shows left. So when he hears that he's been fired, he takes the news script and throws it out. And he starts telling the truth about his life and what's going on in the world. He gives how he, he sees things, he takes off the varnish, and he just starts shooting real with people. He's going nuts. And you know what happens? The ratings take off. So the executives decide to keep this guy on. And every night, day after day, there's this prophet of doom and gloom, but he's shooting straight with people. And then in one scene, one night as he's doing his, his cast, he tells his viewers, I want you to get up right now 
Leave the TV. I want you to get up and go to your window and open that window. And I want you to stick your head out and yell, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take it anymore. I want you to do that right now. Get up. Forget about this program. Go. Go and keep yelling it. And one by one, these viewers went to their windows and kind of at first sheepishly stuck their head out. And pretty soon, streets and cities were yelling, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take it anymore. When I saw that movie a few weeks ago, it reminded me a lot of the Occupy Wall Street protests. The protesters know something is wrong. They aren't necessarily agreed on on how to fix it or, or even know how to fix it. But here's what they do know. They are crying out for people who will look not to their own interests, but to the interests of others. Even though they may not know it, they are fulfilling Romans 8.19. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. They are crying out for men and women who will take on their God-given calling to live out the mind of Christ. They're pleading for revival, even if they don't know it. What if God is using this whole big mess to lay the groundwork for revival? To awaken people to what they're longing for. There's so many days that I walk down the street and it seems like no one's interested in the message of Jesus. Some days it seems like people are interested in anything but Jesus. But hear the good news. People are crying out in the streets for Jesus and what he has to offer. People are crying out for us to take on our God-given call to have the mind of Christ. And God is at work even now Molding our brains more and more into the pattern of Christ's brain. Let's pray. Lord, we place ourselves before you. And if all this junk, the the recession and the unrest is, is just a front that you're using to bring revival to those who don't know you, Lord, if that's what you're doing, we praise you. And we pray that you would make it so. We pray for the protesters occupying Wall Street. We ask that you'd bless them with knowledge and insight of you. And we ask that you'd bless them by giving them entrance into your kingdom. Father, for ourselves, we ask that you would make us more and more aware of the ways that you are rewiring our brain. I pray that as you you nudge us this week to think like you, that you would call to our mind that it wasn't an accident, that it was you working in our lives. And we ask that more and more you would transform our mind to think like Christ. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.